Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today, Bluntstown, Shipley, and Mariana, as we're in our second week of our series entitled Adulting is Hard. And I think all of us, whether you're a student or whether you're a middle-aged or you're an older adult, you can relate to the fact that adulting is really hard, right? And, and if you don't know what we mean when we talk about adulting, we're referring to all the responsibilities that you discover as you get older that are now a part of your life that were not part of your life when you were younger because somebody else took care of those for you. Things like mowing your yard and paying your taxes or buying a house or keeping the oil in your car changed. You know, it's, it's all of those things that we call adulting, but as hard as those things are, the responsibility side of those, and some of you are better at those than others of, other, other people are of just handling being more responsible, but as hard as the, the responsibility side of things are, what really makes adulting hard is the things that we can't see. What really makes adulting hard, it's what's rattling around inside our hearts that keep us from adulting well. It's not the obvious adult responsibility stuff. It's that emotional, mental, and spiritual stuff, the beneath the surface kind of stuff that makes adulting hard. Now, while you may have some visible behaviors on the outside that are just kind of symptoms of deeper, more hidden issues, the truth is all of those deeper unresolved issues are the reason that you just keep having the same problem over and over and over again. Now, what's interesting about adulting is this, is most of us, when we were children, we, we were saying, man, I can't wait till I'm a teenager. And then when you became a teenager, you're like, oh, I can't wait till I'm 20. And then when you became 20, you said, I can't wait till I'm 30. And when I'm 30, it'd be 40, you know, it's like 40. Because we always think the older I get, the easier it's going to be, Right. But some of you, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever looked at a toddler or a child or even a baby and said this out loud? This is the best season of your life that you will ever have. But then we want to adult, but we realize adulting is not easy. But see, here's the thing. What we've discovered is this. When it comes to dealing with relational conflict, it's not any easier as an adult because adulting is very hard. In fact, we learned last week, and it's so much easier, easier to stay childish and point the finger and, and blame everybody and everything around you than to look in the mirror and change as adult. But I'm going to tell you, failing to look at what's rattling around inside our hearts I'm telling you, it doesn't make the problems go away. It doesn't make them get smaller in, any, me in any, any measure, but it just lets them get stronger and bigger as they have their way in our life. So at some point, followers of Jesus, people who mature well as adults, they do the hard work of dealing with and resolving the stuff in their hearts because they know that that is the secret to adulting well. Now, if you were not with us last week, I would really encourage you to go back and watch or listen to last week's talk on our, our, our website or our app because last week's conversation is going to give you even greater context for today's conversation. Because today, we're going to talk about an issue that every one of us, we battle with on a regular basis in our life. And, and we don't even think about it being a regular battle in our life. 
But it is absolutely a daily, sometimes hourly battle in our life. And so whether you're with us today at any of our churches and you're a follower of Jesus or not, what I'm going to say for the next few minutes, it applies to you, it will work for you, and at least deserves your consideration. So we're all in on this, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. And then before I wrap up the talk today, I want to talk specifically to those of us who say that we are followers of Jesus about a deeper level of conviction and motivation that we should consider as followers of Jesus. So let's begin our conversation today with this question. Here's the question. Has there ever been a time in your life when somebody wronged you? I'm not talking about a minor slight that wasn't a big deal. Kind of like a minor slight that I did some people yesterday. We got stuck in traffic. We were on our way to Fairhope. And um, I just kind of pulled through the traffic after sitting in traffic for about an hour. I pulled through the traffic and I got myself spun around so that I could go up the, what is supposed to be the exit little thing on the side, back to the last exchange that we had. Everybody was just kind of ticked off. It was a minor slight. I didn't really wrong anybody. My wife and my son who were with me were going like, what is wrong with you? I said, an hour from now, you will appreciate this. And they did, by the way. They're like, this has got to be illegal. I said, just in somebody else's book, not in mine. But anyhow, it's just a minor slice, not a big deal. So if you ever see somebody coming at you on an emergency lane like that, then you know it's me. You're okay, right? But anyhow, but I'm not talking about minor slides where you do something like that. I'm talking about the stuff that is hard for people or for hard for you to move past and move on from. It's the stuff that is so painful and so powerful that it can scar and it can define you for years to come. I mean, it's the stuff that you would share with a counselor if you ever saw one and they say, give me your best example of someone hurting you. See, unfortunately, We all have a story to tell, don't we? In fact, most of us, we have more than one story to tell. We have stories about where somebody lied to us or they lied about us, they cheated us or they cheated on us, they betrayed us or they hurt us, misrepresented us, they falsely accused us. And here's the thing, when you and I are hurt like that, when we are hurt that deeply, we only have two options. The first option is, is we can choose to hold on to a grudge. Now, I'm just going to tell you, to make the choice to hold on to a grudge, this option immediately feels natural. It just seems so easy. I'm just going to grab this grudge. I'm going to take this grudge, and I'm just going to hold on on this grudge. And in the beginning, it feels so enjoyable in a way. And you know why it feels so enjoyable? Because... Holding on to a grudge, it feeds and it fuels our sense of justice and it feeds and it fuels our sense of righting the wrong. I mean, to be able to shoot off this angry email or send this blistering text or send or post something on Facebook so that everybody knows who you're talking about and you just got to make it public of how bad that person was and how bad they treated you or to be able to give somebody a cold shoulder when you see them in a restaurant or a store. I mean, it leaves you with this feeling. They're not getting away with what they've done. They're going to have to feel some pain for what they've done. It can feel very satisfying to grab a hold and say, I'm going to carry this grudge. But the problem with holding a grudge is here's the thing. You're the one holding the grudge. 
not the other person. You're the one who feels the weight. You're the one that feels the burden. You're the one that is always bound and carried by this grudge. But we think that we're bringing justice to the wrong that was done to us because it feels so good in the moment. It feels so good at the beginning. But the truth is, the longer we hold this grudge, the longer we carry this grudge, the more it begins to grab a hold of us. See, the longer, don't miss this, the longer you carry the grudge, when you do decide to get over the grudge or get past the grudge, the longer it takes to move past it. Because you have done so much what we call self-inflicting wounding. Because you're carrying it every day. And every day you're reminding yourself of what that person did to you. And every day you remind yourself, you cause yourself more pain, but you're still blaming it on them, even though they did that back then. In fact, the, the, as long as I hold on to that grudge, as long as I hold on to that hurt or that wrong, I can't move on past that moment in time. At the moment I grab that grudge, I am stuck there. It limits my growth, growth emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And one more thing about holding grudges, and that is this. The more grudges that you carry, the easier they become to pick up and carry. There's something about the practice of holding one grudge that makes you quicker to hold another one until you actually collapse under the weight of the very thing that you're blaming on everybody else, but you're refusing to let go of yourself. Now, that's a dangerous thing in itself, but you know what? It doesn't stop there. Here's what you need to understand. Every time you carry unresolved anger, into the next season of your life. Every time you carry one grudge into the next season of your life, you run the risk of relational ruin and ultimately self-destruction. And it becomes so easy to lose sight of the original source of your hurt where you really got hurt. So what you do is you find yourself in this new stage of life being mad at this person and that person and the other person. And you're just always mad. And, and, and you're mad because he said this or she did that and, and they just keep hearing this anger spew out of you and you don't even realize how much anger is, is coming out of you. But after a while, they think, you know what? I don't think it's me. He's mad at everybody. She's mad at everybody. They're mad at everybody. I think you were angry before we got married. I think you were angry before we started dating. I think you were angry long before we met. I think you were angry before you took this job. I think you were angry before you moved to this school. And now you're blaming me, but I'm not the source. This anger, it was in you way back there. And now it's in you when you got to this stage because you never let it go. So you can carry a grudge. But there's another option rather than just holding on to a grudge and carrying it in every stage of your life. And, and I don't really need to tell you what it is because you know what it is, you already know. But here's the thing about the second option. It doesn't feel good. It especially does not feel good in the moment. Matter of fact, some of you, the pain is so fresh and the pain is so raw and the, and the emotion is so real that when I mention it, you're like, I'm not even gonna consider option number two. And some of you are going, tell us, remind us what option number two is. It is this, it's forgiveness. Now, let me just say something. 
Forgiveness is hard. Let me say that one more time. Forgiveness is hard. In fact, I want this to just kind of sink into your heart and your head. So all of us, Bluntstown, Chipley, Mariana, let's all say the statement together. Forgiveness is hard. Let's all say it together. Forgiveness is hard. Let's do it one more time. Forgiveness is hard. See, we know it's hard. But on top of us knowing that forgiveness is hard, our misconceptions about forgiveness make us push back even more on forgiving. And, and we think things like this. This is some misconceptions. If I forgive, justice isn't being served. If I forgive, then they're just off the hook. If I forgive, I have to resume the relationship. If I forgive, I must trust them again. And because forgiveness is legitimate hard work. It's hard work spiritually. It's hard work emotionally. It's hard work mentally. It is hard work. And because it's legitimate hard work, I'm not going to spend the next few minutes just demanding that you forgive. But what I do want to do is I want all of you to consider a few reasons why it's worth your consideration. And hopefully what I can do is remove some of these misconceptions that you have about forgiveness that keep you from choosing to make the decision to forgive. So to do that, let me start with a simple definition. What does forgiveness mean? Let me give you a definition. Forgiveness means to cancel the debt. We're gonna see that in just a moment from a story that Jesus told. So forgiveness means to cancel the debt. Every time you hurt someone or every time you're hurt by someone, there is this debt-debtor relationship that's created. That is why we say things like, I owe them an apology or they owe me an apology. Because in a very real sense, there is this debt-debtor relationship that's been created. So to forgive, don't miss this, to forgive is to make a choice. They don't owe me anymore. I'm going to cancel the debt. There was a wrong that needs to be made right. There was a debt that they owe me, but I'm not gonna keep demanding it or expecting they pay it back or make it up. I'm letting go of my grudge. I'm putting down this whole feeling of my rights to have what I want. I'm canceling the debt. That's what forgiveness means, to cancel the debt. Now, a couple of those misconceptions that we put up on the screen that make us push back on forgiveness are the, the misconception that if I forgive, then justice isn't being served. Or if I forgive, then I'm just letting them off the hook. But as followers of Jesus, we believe that it is God's job to be the judge, not our job. We, we have to get out of the way and let God do his work in their life. And we forget this from time to time. And the reason that we forget this from time to time is because that God has ordered the world in such a way, that, and this is what we don't remember, is that all sin comes prepackaged with a penalty. All sin comes prepackaged with a penalty. This means that that person that hurt you, they're not gonna get off scot-free. They are going to pay. There are consequences. They can't avoid paying for what they did to you. Their sin comes prepackaged with a consequence. Now, most of the time, we don't believe this. And you know why we don't believe this? Because most of the time, the consequences are not immediate. But here's what I wanna say. They're not going to get let off the hook. We can just let go 
of our desire to exact justice because God is a reliable judge. He will bring justice. Now, another couple of misconceptions that we said also about forgiveness that keep us from choosing forgiveness is if I forgive them, then I have to resume the relationship. Or if I forgive them, then I have to trust them again. But please hear me on this. Nowhere does God say that forgiving someone means that you have to pretend that there was nothing that ever happened, that it wasn't a big deal. Nor does God say that we have to automatically trust someone who has hurt you. He doesn't say those things. In fact, I think Henry Cloud helps us understand forgiveness at a whole nother level. He does a great job of explaining forgiveness when he says these things. He says, first of all, forgiveness has to do with the past. In other words, you can't change what happened. The, the only choice that you have about the past is whether you are going to choose to hold on to the grudge or whether you're going to let it go. That, that's your only choice about the past. There's nothing you can ever change about the past. You are in total control of what happens or how you deal with the past, whether you forgive and cancel the debt or whether you don't. See, you can forgive, don't miss this. In fact, some of you might wanna write this down. You can forgive whether the other person is repentant or not. You can forgive whether the other person asks for forgiveness or not. Forgiveness is not dependent on the other person. You can cancel that debt and say, they don't owe me anymore. I'm not gonna ever expect them to pay. I'm canceling that debt and moving on. But Henry Cloud also says that reconciliation has to do with the present. And this is where a lot of us get hung up. See, while forgiveness is only dependent on one person, reconciliation, it requires two people. The person who created the debt must ask for forgiveness and the person who felt the hurt, they must give forgiveness in order for reconciliation to take place. So you can have forgiveness without the cooperation of both people, but you can't have reconciliation without both, both people. So whether we reconcile or not, we can still forgive. And then finally, there's trust. And this is always a big one when it comes to forgiveness. What do I do about trusting that person in the future? Well, trust has to do with the future. So if you have been hurt by someone, you have to determine, are you willing to risk opening yourself up to them, them again? What kind of boundaries are you gonna put in place with that person going forward? And they have to decide if they're going to make the effort to really regain or rebuild trust over a period of time. So here's the thing you have to understand. Reconciliation and trust, the level of reconciliation and the level of trust, those are options that we get to choose. But forgiveness, it is totally dependent on us. That shouldn't be an option. So regardless of what the relationship looks like in the future, regardless of what the relationship is going to be in the present, it is in your best interest to forgive. So those are your two options. You can either carry grudges or you can choose to forgive. Now here, here's what you need to understand. Carrying a grudge, if you decide, okay, I'm gonna pick this up, I'm gonna carry this grudge, you're gonna feel better in the moment. But over time, it's going to ruin you. Choose forgiveness, and it'll be the hardest thing you do in the moment. But in the long run, it's gonna be the most 
the healthiest choice that you can make spiritually, emotionally, and relationally to just say, I'm letting go of the grudge. I'm parking it here in the past. I'm canceling that debt. Now, up to this point, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, or whether you believe in God or not, what we've said, it applies to everyone. But for the next few minutes, I want to talk to those of us who say, I want to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And let me just say, if you're with us today at one of our churches and you're not a follower of Jesus, I think this is going to be helpful. And I pray it will help you consider why following Jesus should be a priority and should be important in your life. So to give you a bit of background of of what we're gonna look at from the life of Jesus. One day Jesus was in this conversation about this issue of forgiveness with some of his closest disciples. And Peter, imagine this, Peter interrupts Jesus to express frustration that I think we've all felt when it comes to this issue of forgiveness. In fact, if you wanna follow along in your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 18. This is gonna be starting in verse 21 where we see this conversation take place. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Here's the conversation. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Haven't we all thought that? And I think Peter is thinking what many of us think when it comes to forgiveness. Jesus, I know you want us to forgive, but there's gotta be a limit. I mean, John over here, he just keeps doing the same thing over and over again. And he's so obnoxious because he keeps saying, oh, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves and I just keep forgiving him. And, but he just keeps repeating the same thing over and over again and nothing changed. And at some point, Jesus is starting to feel a little irresponsible to forgive him over and over again. You just can't expect us to forgive forever. So then Peter, he decides, I'm going to nail Jesus down to a number. So he throws out this number that he thinks is a generous, over-the-top, this is that go that extra mile thing, Jesus, that you said we should do if we're followers of you. So here's, here's my number for how many times I forgive. Notice his number, the last part of the verse. He says, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times and I think when Peter said this, all the other disciples around are just laughing. They're just laughing there. He's going, you got to be kidding, Peter. Jesus is going to think you're crazy. That just sounds ridiculous. I mean, who would forgive the same person seven times for the same offense? I mean, you'd be an idiot to do that. And they're all expecting Jesus to go, no, guys, just one time. Maybe three. Only two if it's your in-laws, you know. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus says. No, notice verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And Jesus' point is saying 77 times is you you shouldn't even keep count. There is no limit to the amount of forgiveness that you should give. Now, apparently, when Jesus makes this statement 77 times, I mean, these disciples' faces had the same look that our face would have, that you gotta be kidding me. Are you serious, Jesus? And I'm guessing a couple of them probably stepped up and raised their hands now. It's not just Peter. They're going, Jesus, do you realize what this person did to me? Have you seen how she treats me or how he treats me? So without missing a beat, Jesus tells this made-up story. We call them parables in the Bible. They're they're made-up stories to make a point, to tell us who God is, who we are, and how we should interact in this whole process with God and other people. And in this story... Jesus tells us why forgiveness is something we need to do for our own 
benefit, not just for the benefit of other people. Notice this in the beginning of verse 23. Therefore, here's the beginning of the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, whenever you see, whenever you're reading the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you see this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's saying to those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is what your life should be like. This is the practice that you should be practicing in this world because you're now part of the kingdom of heaven. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Well, who does this king represent? It represents God, right? So keep that in mind as we go through the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, I want you to know in those days that one bag of gold was equal to 20 years of wages for a day labor in those days. Don't miss that. 20 years of wages was one bag of gold. So you do the math. 10,000 bags of gold. You do the math on that. All of a sudden, this guy, he owes the king, this servant owes the king 200,000 years worth of wages. Now, some of you, you thought you had debt problems. You have no debt problems compared to this guy. I mean, in today's money, this guy owed $4 billion. That, That's with a B, yes. $4 billion in today's money is what he owed his master, what he owed the king. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, you think, like $4 billion. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Not because the king's going to get $4 billion out of them but because he's just kind of ready to wash his hands of this servant and recover whatever that he can recover. And Jesus telling this story, everybody listening is going, this is like the most hopeless situation for any human being we've ever heard. This is just beyond hope. So Jesus says the man does the only thing that he knows to do. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, that's just an absolute ridiculous statement to make, right? I mean, everybody who's listening to the story goes, there's no way, it's impossible. He can never pay that back. $4 billion never would happen. So what would you do if you were the king? And remember, the king represents God. You've lost $4 billion because of this guy. And now he's trying to convince you that he's gonna pay you back. Well, this is why Jesus is such an extraordinary storyteller. He introduces a twist that nobody would expect. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt. That's what forgiveness is. Canceled the debt and let him go. Now, isn't that like the most amazing act of kindness and forgiveness that you could ever imagine somebody doing? I mean, he forgave him not part, he didn't forgive him just some, but he forgave him all the debt, all $4 billion worth. I mean, can you imagine how this must have felt to this guy who owed the $4 billion to the king? I mean, so much relief going, oh, are you serious? Really? I'm forgiving you? You canceled the debt? Really? King goes, yeah, you can go. And this makes the next part of the story so odd. Look at verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. 
100 silver coins in today's money would be worth about $4,000. So this fellow servant owed $4,000, which is nothing compared to the $4 billion. And you would think after just hearing the king saying, hey, your debt's canceled, you could go free. You think after he experienced that, this first servant, he would look at his fellow servant and say, hey, you're not gonna believe what happened in there. In fact, when I go home and tell my wife, she absolutely is just gonna think I'm crazy. She's gonna think I'm lying. There's no way she's gonna believe this. The king just forgave my $4 billion in debt. So guess what? I'm in a real forgiving mood. I'm canceling your $4,000 debt. You don't owe me anymore. But that's not what happened. Notice the last part of verse 28. But he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Now I want you to notice the master's response. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt, all $4 billion worth of debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus, he looks at his disciples who didn't wanna forgive, didn't understand forgiveness, who thought there had to be a limit in how they should forgive or how much they should forgive. And he says this in the next verse, and I don't want you to miss it. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And you know what Jesus is saying by making this statement? Jesus is saying, forgiven people are foolish not to forgive. Because the greatest torment that a forgiven person can live in is not forgiving others. And I just wanna tell you, any of our churches today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what Jesus is saying is you are a recipient. You have been a recipient of this extraordinary, extravagant, $4 billion kind of forgiveness from your heavenly father. And as a follower of Jesus, he's saying, you know what it's like to experience extravagant grace and mercy and love that you did not earn and that you do not deserve. So to choose to forgive someone else for the 4,000 or the 40,000 or even the $4 million hurt that they caused you emotionally, that's foolish. It's foolish because of what the anger and what the grudge will do to you. And it's foolish because of what the anger and the grudge is going to not only do to you, but also to the people around you in this present season and in your future that you have before you. See, it's foolish for a forgiven person who refuses to forgive a person but what it shows us is they have not fully grasped the full measure of the forgiveness that they have experienced from their heavenly father. So let me ask you, what grudge did you pick up back there and added even more to it? What grudge are you carrying today 
What, what anger have you packed away and you've put it in your luggage and it's part of your daily process and you just keep dragging it with you from one day to the next, from one year to the next, from one season to the next. And, and why are you doing that? It's no benefit to you and it's definitely not hurting the other person. I mean, how, how's it working for you? It's not, you know that. It's only hurting yourself. So here's my big challenge to you today. Would you choose right now to say, I'm gonna decide to cancel that debt. I'm gonna put that grudge down. I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna drop it back where it happened in the past. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna forgive and I'm gonna move on. Now, it's a simple choice, but a hard choice. You know what to do. It's simple in the sense, I know what to do. I, I need to let that grudge go, and I, I need to let it set in the past, and I need to forgive it. There's nothing I can do to change the past. So it's simple in that sense. You just decide. They, they don't owe me anymore. I, I'm not going to expect them to repay what they cost me or what they took from me. I'm choosing today to cancel that debt, but that's going to be the hardest part to say, I'm canceling that debt. They don't owe me. Well, the, the decision is a simple one to decide. The emotional, the spiritual, and the mental process is gonna be so hard. And you may have to make that choice again and again and again. You may have to make it tomorrow and say, no, I chose to cancel that debt. They don't owe me anymore. You may have to make it the next day. I chose to cancel that debt until your emotions and your spiritual health and well-being and, and your healing catch up with the decision. So you may have to make it day after day, but I want you to understand there is no limit on how many times you forgive each day. So the question is, will you drop the grudge? And if you're a follower of Jesus, let me remind you, you, you have been forgiven far more than you'll ever be required to forgive. So what are you waiting on? Jesus is really saying a person who doesn't forgive is really, it's an oxymoron. If you just insist on carrying that hurt, that wrong, that grudge, you're putting yourself on a path toward ruining and wrecking all of your relationships. You're putting yourself on a path to ruin and wreck your soul and your future in the process. And Jesus would come to you today and say, listen, I tell you this story because you've been forgiven so much. So will you forgive so that you can find the freedom that comes from following the example of forgiveness that you've received, will you cancel all the debts in the past? And will you, like Jesus, make the decision that I'm going to predecide to cancel all the debts in the future? Listen, your life is way too short and your purpose is way too great to be distracted by the burden of unforgiveness. So for your own sake, forgive. Now, if you're sitting at one of our churches today and you're going, uh, I don't know that I wanna do that. I have no desire for that. Maybe it's because you've never actually experienced forgiveness for yourself. But you know what? All of that stuff that you beat yourself about, that you did in the past, all that stuff you just keep carrying with you from the past, Jesus predecided to forgive you for all of that sin, all of your past sin, all your present sin, all your future sin. It's unconditional. It's free to you if you'll just accept his forgiveness. Maybe if you're a Christ follower, you're with us today and, and you have no desire to forgive. Maybe it's because you're not grateful because you, you don't realize how much that Jesus has forgiven you. 
But I'm telling you, it can become real to you and we wanna give you that opportunity right now as we close out our service so that you understand God's amazing gift of forgiveness to you so you can feel that relief of God's forgiveness. So if you're with us today, first of all, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that you can say in your heart as I say it out loud. And then if you're with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that you can say in your heart as I say it out loud, as we deal with this issue of forgiveness. So everybody, all of our churches, will you bow your heads, please? If you're a follower of Jesus, will you just say this? Jesus, today, um, I get I'm hurting myself more than anybody else by not forgiving. And I understand now why I feel so tormented. I understand why I feel emotionally, spiritually, and relationally stuck. Because I just keep carrying yesterday with me. And every day is just a rerun of yesterday's pain and hurt and wounds. So today, I, I just pray that you help me understand at a whole new level the amount of forgiveness that you gave me so that I understand your grace and your mercy and your love to me, and I can give that to others. So today, I choose, I decide, I'm canceling the debt. I'm choosing to forgive all past hurts, wounds, and wrong. And I need your help to heal and to look forward to the incredible future that you have for me. Now, if you're with us at any of our churches and you're not a follower of Jesus, would you just say this in your heart as I say it out loud? Say, Jesus, today I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior who forgives. And I believe that you are not only King and Lord, but you are my savior. That you hung on a cross, you died to pay the penalty for all of my sin, all of my past, all my present, all my future sin. And today I receive your forgiveness. And I just ask that as I move forward in your forgiveness, I'll begin to experience what it means to be free from shame and guilt and any sense of condemnation, so much so that I will have the desire and the motivation to forgive all of those who sinned against me. So right now I ask you in my heart to be my Lord and my Savior, my forgiver and my King. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed either one of those prayers, if you're a follower of Jesus, we wanna help you. Because I'm telling you this, Unforgiveness issues, one of the greatest issues that keep people from adulting well. Let us know on the connect card. Let us know on the galleries you leave so we can have a conversation with you. Or if you are not a follower or were not until you just prayed to receive Jesus as your savior, will you let us know on your connect card as well or stop by the gallery because we wanna have a conversation with you or we wanna send you some information to help you take some next steps in what it means to live free in Christ so that you can use that freedom to serve others humbly in love. Hey, have a great week living in God's forgiveness and give that forgiveness away. We'll see you next Sunday.